0: Welcome to Buy the Glass, a podcast dedicated to boozy beverages and the people who make and drink them. I'm your host, Chris Doyen. All right, BTG gang, for today's episode, we're going to dig into the concept of legacy and the delicate balancing act of tradition and innovation. My guest today is André Terraille who is the owner and operator of Tour d'Argent, the oldest restaurant in Paris. Tour d'Argent opened in 1582 and literally served everyone from the Queen of England to FDR. Ernest Hemingway wrote about the restaurant and its signature dish, the pressed duck, in his memoir, A Movable Feast. And Pixar even used it as inspiration for the film Ratatouille. Andre got his MBA at the same place I'm getting mine, INSEAD. So with that shared connection, we found time to grab lunch and talk about taking over the space from his father, opening up the bakery and a pizzeria next door, managing the Tour d'Argent's Tokyo location, and planning for the upcoming Paris Olympics. It's a hell of a conversation, so slice yourself a big hunk of foie gras terrine, pour yourself a carafe of Vin Rouge, and let's get into it. Here's André. What's going on on your end? It looks like you're dressed for service. You have to work the floor tonight? You're going to be slinging bottles? What's yes, happening? I'll be at
1: the restaurant. I'll be greeting the customers. That's, that's uh, uh, part of my job. It's actually the,
0: the nicest part. The maitre d' called out of work today? Well, um, <laughs> we, have,
1: we have about a staff of 18 in the dining room. So they clearly don't need me uh, Mm -hmm. to cater to the customers. I'm just the cherry on the cake, I would say. I would add a little something. That's the historical part. That's the family atmosphere. and, And sometimes maybe... Uh, let's say the least possible, uh, there's an
0: issue with the customer. You're there they kiss hands and shakes babies. On a typical day, are you spending most of your time at the Tour d'Argent or at the rotisserie next door? I'm actually
1: spending a lot of time at the office. It's it's a typical business. So I'm spending a lot of time at the at the, at the office, also a lot of time at uh, our suppliers, visiting winemakers. For example, yesterday I had a horrible day in Burgundy. Uh, we had to take some wines at... Little winemaker you probably know of, which is La Romani
0: Conti. Somebody's got to do it, I guess. Can you imagine? It's funny though because you said like, oh, just a typical work day. but I mean, for people that aren't super familiar, right? I mean, the Argent Empire is pretty big. It's not just one restaurant. It's a lot more than that.
1: We have, uh, we offer different experiences. We're still a small business. We make 10 million euros. It's, it's still a very small business, yet. Uh, We have different, I would say, yes, experiences, that's the word. So we have the bakery, which I opened in 2016, uh, which is doing fantastic today. We're doing over 500 customers a day. Uh, We have the fine food shop, which I opened during COVID. Actually, when the restaurant was closed, it was actually maintaining my staff and the kitchen team uh, active and providing some customers with, uh, well, recipes, food, terrine, foie gras, Anything that we really think of, and and it was it was it was doing really really good, it still is. And uh, then we have the rotisserie, which is our bistro, uh which is doing really good. And then we have the fine dining restaurant, and we have the also the restaurant uh, La Tour d'Argent in Tokyo at the New Otani Hotel. So it's uh, yeah, it's enough keep your your hands full most of the time
0: so when it comes to like during covid you 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 referenced that was when you opened up the epicerie. it was your first time really entering a retail space this was like a whole new kind of like world to be entering right how did you kind of go about approaching that
1: it's indeed very new the bakery was a first step but it was not it's it's a little bit um i would say easier once you 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 provide a good uh, croissant pain au chocolat uh, pan raisin, uh, bread or pastry. Once the products are good, I would say the customers show up. It takes a little bit of time, but they show up. And the fine, the fine food shop is indeed a little bit different. I'm lucky to, enough to have hired uh, a fantastic general manager who uh, was previously uh, working at Ediard and Lavinia, So' we're really in the fine food industry uh, and also retail. So he brought a lot of experience on this end. And clearly we were, we, we didn't have it. So my, my solution was really to uh, uh, look for uh, know-how uh, from the outside.
0: And when it comes to like a boulangerie in Paris, right? Like I'm sure there are certain things that you have to have. Like you can't not do baguettes. You can't not do pain au chocolat or croissant. Was there something that you said like, hey, we're not going to do this one thing that you see at every single bakery. We're going to choose not to make that. Or was there something that you're like, we have to carry this one atypical thing because that will be what kind of separates us like how did you decide what the shop would or wouldn't make
1: that's a very good question we the advantage of of coming in the the bakery business without having a baker background a baker's background is you you try new things and you do things a little bit different in in a bakery there's three different businesses i would say or three different know-hows uh the first is the pastry that desserts, uh, which are done in a certain way, but it's a business to know how we already had uh, with the restaurants. So that really wasn't difficult to make good cakes from day one. The second business is bread. Bread is completely different business. Of course, the baker starts around 4, 4.30 in the morning. It depends a little bit on the day. And here we decided to have a very short range. Why? Because we didn't know how to do it. We we, we didn't want to take too many risks. So we decided to have a very short range and to come in with only one baguette. As you probably know, in most bakeries in France, 99% of them, you have two baguettes. You have the baguette, which is done with um, its artificial yeast, and you have the, the one which is done with natural yeast, which is a little bit more elaborate. The first one was actually invented in the 60s. It doesn't have any taste, actually it tastes like dust. It's really not good. I still don't understand why the bakers do it. Uh, yet, even some of the greatest bakeries in France still do it because they, they are scared. I don't know why. We decided to make only one baguette, the right one, and push it, uh, push the fermentation, uh, push the time of type of fermentation with, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard yeast. Uh, we, we ferment it at the end of the day, it's, it's 24 hours. We tried 48 hours. We're looking for a baguette, which is not too acid and, is, and not burnt. Uh, why? Because we want bread is something that goes with the food and that would allow you to source, to use it to, to actually uh, taste the sauce. So we wanted something to, which is a little bit soft, but it has very, very long or lingering ar- aromas. So that, that was our objective. So short range, one baguette, and also do something for uh, from day one. We used to go to go. Uh, So to manage uh, food waste, uh, something also most bakers don't use, I still don't understand it. So that's the second uh, know-how, is is, uh, bread. The third one is viennoiserie. Uh, So these are all the pain chocolat, the the croissant, the pain viennois. And that's actually the most difficult. The bread, we were able to do some pretty good bread from the beginning because I, I managed to hire a baker from a connection uh, it's a baker it's actually the best baker in Nyon where the baker in Paris decided to close down uh, Philippe Jocteur, and he allowed me to, to hire his baker, whose name was Alexis Bourgeois. So we, we opened with Alexis and he, instantly we had some grape. Then came the viennoiserie, and that was really a challenge because making one good pound chocolat is fine. Making 250 a day it becomes a little bit more complicated. And if you multiply it during the week, I actually calculated you, you are something like in, in the tens of thousands of little pieces of a little bit of everything that you have to produce and you have to make them right. Because we are so people expect us to be pretty good. We decided, we decided to remain relatively accessible in terms of prices, yet people expected some really good products. So it took us to get the Viennoiserie right. Honestly, it took, it took us eight months. It was, it was really painful. That's a
0: steep ass curve. That's a
1: steep learning curve. Yeah, right there. We, we, we I thought we were going to be right after two weeks, but it took, it took us eight months. So yeah, it, it's eight months for, of customers are uh, sometimes complaining. That it was, it was a bit tough, but but now we, we we got it right. And again, he, there we decided to have a very short range. We use the desserts uh, for the bistro at the same time. So this is also managing waste, uh, food waste. And we decided to remain relatively classic, meaning not making too elaborate or too complicated products. The bicolor croissant, you know, that you can see on Instagram. Sure, it's cool. It's great. Some people do it fantastic. I think it's just complicated enough to make a really good croissant. And when it's really good, you don't
0: need anything. Else. I think you're seeing a trend towards that where you know, I think maybe like 10 years ago, there was this idea of making the most like exotic, most like Instagram friendly desserts. And now it's like, keep it simple, stupid, just make it straightforward, make it really tasty. Make sure that it's just straight up good. As long as it tastes really good, super high quality products, like, like that, that, that to me is the most important thing. Is there, is there like a, like a Holy grail or some, like something that you've always wanted to be able to make at the boulangerie that you guys just, for whatever reason, don't do at the moment?
1: Oh, uh, we, we tried, but they didn't really get it right. It's, it's um, I'm half finished and, and we make those cookies, uh, gingerbread cookies that are called pipari kakko, uh, Christmas cookies, and, and they tried at some point. We had actually quite a few tastings. They never got it right. Uh, I even called the Finnish embassy to see if they can have a <laughs> chef or someone who could pass by, but I'm, I'm not giving up.
0: There we go. That's good. You can't give up. That's wild, though, that the Finnish embassy, what did what was that call like? You just call them up. You're like, yo, I have an emergency. This is an emergency <laughs> right now. I had
1: the tritur chef and the chef was not there. Then they told me he would pass by a little bit later Then the guy was in Finland. I'm or- not
0: super familiar with the food of Finland. Uh, like what are other things that are? traditional finnish cuisine
1: well Finland is relatively simple cuisine it's it's very slavic uh, uh they, i'm not sure if they would appreciate it if i said that but if that's the case it's potatoes it's uh, salted fishes uh herring salmon yeah it's 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 relatively low-key of course the absolute delicacy of finland is crayfish so so that's that's i would say the crown crown jewel of, of
0: Seven-year-old Andres like eating crayfish, having a uh, gingerbread cookies. What was your childhood cuisine like? What was a typical meal for you growing up?
1: <laughs> my mother was making making soups that were just not good. <laughs> <laughs> not good. <laughs> my my mother was was for some reason she, she she had a problem with soups. Really, I would not pass this podcast for my mother, but um, yeah, she wasn't getting it right.
0: Mom, if you're out there listening our condolences but work on your soup game sorry mom soup game not strong
1: but then we, i was lucky to have lunch with, with my father you know we we're a family business so we had we have lunch every sunday with my father and my mother and at the restaurant the Tour So so was very it was very cool it was relatively simple food um not the elaborate free star we had a menu of our own but obviously whatever my father would ask the chef to make it was it was fantastic uh i remember um uh, ashi parmentier, which is minced beef, potatoes, uh, ginger. Uh, and and the one we had at school was absolutely horrendous. So my father asked the chef, at the time it was Manuel Martinez, we had three stars. And he asked him to make ashi parmentier, and for some reason it was just delicious.
0: <laughs> so that was every Sunday, that was a family tradition to yeah. eat at the restaurant yeah. and just have a like simple meal. Exactly. So like, even then, when you were a little kid having those meals, like, did you think to yourself, like, oh, I'm going to someday run this restaurant or was like, this is dad's thing and I'm going to do my own thing, be a firefighter, or, like yeah. do whatever. Um,
1: no, m- my father didn't give me much choice, to be totally <laughs> honest. I guess it's very, uh, patriotical uh, kind of, uh, way of seeing things. And, um, so I always saw myself taking over and, and I, I don't complain at all. I think it's sometimes it works if you accept uh, your mission, I would say, of taking over a, a restaurant. It's, it's a demanding job, you know, besides the occasional visits to winemakers and, and great uh, craftsmen and fantastic products around Paris. You know, sometimes we visit uh, some cheesemakers. So it's, it, this, this, is, this part is really fun. Of course, spending a lot of time with the customers is fantastic because we have the entire world coming to the restaurant. Uh, last Saturday, I have um, Helena Palukka, who is the, the, the chef of the Savoy in, in Helsinki, and she was here with all her family, and which is the number one restaurant in Helsinki. And they were just so happy to be there, and you know, uh, you know, it's it's a privilege to be welcoming uh, those customers. So of course, it's it's a mission. It's yes, what it, of course it's it's very demanding, not only for me but for my team because the customers expect us to be. Right all the time to get it right. It's an expensive restaurant. Uh, average ticket for lunch is about two eighty per person. Uh, average ticket for dinner is four thirty. Uh, so imagine if you invite someone, you come to the restaurant. That's all close to a thousand euros. Uh, so of course the customers expect us to be uh, top notch. I mean we have to be absolutely perfect all the time, and and I think most of the time we achieve that. And we, when we get it right, and the customers thank us and tell us they'll be coming back. Well, we're the happiest people in the world.
0: It is a really stressful thing, though. I mean, dining out at any restaurant can be, you know, really walking a tightrope in terms of quality service, the quality of the food. There's so many inconsistencies and things that are kind of out of your control, right? Yeah. And you took over at a really young age. You were like 26 when you started, right?
1: True. Um, my father passed away. Uh, he was 88. So he had a good life, huh? uh, especially he lived the 50s and 60s uh, full swing.
0: Um, <laughs> so um, He had a belly full of duck plenty of good wine. I mean, that's a secret I mean, to a long life, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think, I think they were partying more than they were working at the time, but, <laughs>
0: um,
1: or was it working also? That's the question. Yeah. But um, yeah. So, so I knew, I knew my father was going to pass away at some point and I uh, was going to take over. So it's something I, I kind of expected. And when he passed away, I took over the business and I, I went full on, on and, and, carry on the family tradition and was
0: there a lot of overlap when you were working while he was still alive or was it very much like he was running everything and then you joined once he left
1: uh I studied at Babson in uh, in Boston so I came back and spent three years with him um he didn't let me take charge of anything at the time to be honest he was you know it's that's the that's this kind of generation was seeing things this way they were not yeah. you know it's, it was not really about empowerment and, you know sharing and you know uh free company where everybody has to say so that had
0: to have been really hard though right because like you you're studying especially at a place like babson which is a very like business oriented school for people Mm -hmm. that don't know like number one entrepreneurship program for undergrad in the u.s like i don't know i imagine that would just be so hard to like be armed with all this like really great information youthful energy and then like to come in and have that kind of like challenging relationship where you can't really maybe enact some of the changes that you want to make?
1: It is challenging indeed. And uh, it took me some time to kind of like really get the company back on, I would say, a good spirit. I've really achieved that after my INSEAD uh, break, where it made me quite confident. Uh, First, I was a little bit older, it helps, and it made made me confident to really uh, uh, change the company strongly in terms of human resources and, and uh, values and, and way of doing things. Uh, so that's, I think the real change was after India. Uh, nevertheless, the uh, fine dining world and the fine dining industry still operates a little bit. There's a little bit of a military atmosphere at times. And it's something that will never fade away and actually shouldn't because that's what, that's what makes the experience so strong and immediate uh, and customer centric for the time that the customer is seated. I've had endless conversation about this with, with uh, some friends uh, who are all about the um, free company or entreprise liberée. And, and it does work in a certain format for certain types of businesses. But when a, a customer is unhappy about his dish or uh, is in a bad mood, uh, if we, we got something wrong, well, we cannot have a brainstorming session about it. Uh, it's, it's all about the entire team getting together and finding an immediate solution uh, to, to 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 an issue and understanding that we have to be extremely quick about it um, so that's that's like in a palace you know if you, if you go in a one of those big hotels that are uh, very well managed you can feel the team is is really sharp. It doesn't mean that they're not fun or they're not, it's not lively or it's, it's not easy
0: or it looks extremely There needs to be like a hierarchy and a clear delegation yeah. of tasks. but yeah. once when there's
1: an issue, especially for very demanding customers, suddenly you have to change your game a little bit and you have to pull out this very kind of immediate, very quick reaction mode, uh, which I think makes the, the best places, even um, the most um, creative ones, uh,
0: Have you noticed that there's been kind of like a change in the style of service or the kinds of restaurants out there just over the past 10 years as things have become less hierarchical, less structured in restaurants? Have you noticed kind of culturally within the city of Paris, a change? Most definitely.
1: Um, but it does come in waves. I mean, there was totally this, uh, uh you know, Chateaubriand, team Wave, uh, Yamcha Today, uh, Uh, Balagan all those very very cool places which provide actually an experience that's in a way it's quite similar to us because they just they provide a very global experience where you have lots of fun you interact with the team the chef blah 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 there's music things going on left and right and that's so cool and that's what we try to do as well we have an amazing view. We have the Metro d'Hotel carving the duck in front of the table or uh, Flambe de, prepare, prepares the, 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 the crepe in front of you. Uh, you have the sommelier, he's bringing your bottle from the wine cellar. It still has dust on in front. You know, he's going to act like, oh my God, the cork is really complicated. Oh my God, are we going to get the cork out? He's over overdoing it a little bit at times. And, and I think that that creates a, a very fun uh, lively atmosphere. so
0: The theatricality is super important. Exactly,
1: yeah. that's the word. So it's it's all about understanding where we stand. Now, in term, terms of uh, team management, we are still a relatively structured uh, team in the sense that we have the service staff, we have the sommelier, mm-hmm. but we have a big sommelier team. We have about 11 or 12 in the sommelier team, so that's really big. Uh, one guy in the wine cellar who prepares, gets the bottles, one guy in the office, or the back office who, who prepares the glasses and the bottle. That's already two people just to get the table, the, the bottle to your table. And then you have the sommelier who brings the bowl, and then you have the sommelier who's gonna serve it. There's a whole, it's, it's quite structured. And of course the kitchen team, uh, which comprises probably uh, 26, 28 people today. So that's, that's, that's pretty substantial. And all that to make sure that the customers at the sixth floor of an old building uh, have an experience that's
0: successful. And you were talking earlier about the MBA being so helpful to you and kind of like building your confidence and understanding the necessary like SOPs that you wanted to put into place in the restaurant. But did you find that a lot of your classmates could relate to the kind of experiences you were having? Yes, a restaurant is a business, but especially for people that maybe had studied or worked in the finance industry or in consulting or in some corporate sector, did you notice any sort of like disconnect with your fellow classmates when it came to like shared experiences? Well,
1: I I didn't feel any disconnect disconnect mostly because I always I still feel that the inside atmosphere is so... um, Collegio.
0: I think the, the access to alcohol helps with that.
1: <laughs> exactly. It's a, well, it's called the party school. Well, it, but we did work, work a lot, if I remember correctly. So
0: we, work hard, it's, play it's, hard, right?
1: Exactly. Uh, no, I, I did. Uh, I was curious about their job. I actually took quite a few finance class because I'm I thought I'm not too bad in math. So I thought it was, it was I really pushed it. I took Pierre Lyon uh, in, in Singapore. So I really pushed it. And, and I exchanged a lot with some of the finance guys because they were, you know, coming out from the best banks and I was like, okay, just explain me how does it work? And as, uh, the same way I was interested in, in their world, and I think they were interested in mine, I even organized a few... Um,
0: you cook a press duck for them? You do a little <laughs> press duck in the classroom, a little demonstration? You mentioned that there's a Tour d'Argent in Tokyo. And when it comes to the service that you provide within the restaurant, is the goal to make it nearly identical in service techniques? Or do you cater a little bit to a slightly different audience being in Japan as opposed to being in France?
1: That's an everyday question because uh, at the beginning, of course, when we opened the restaurant in Tokyo in 84, the concept was to be as French as you could be. It still is because when you're a restaurant, when you're a French restaurant in Japan, if, if customers wanted the Japanese experience, well, they would just go to their, one of their local restaurants and, and they have plenty of different, with an incredible variety of restaurants in Japan and Tokyo. So you cannot provide them with, with, with the local experience because 1st you're, you're never going to do it better than them. Yet you have to integrate local products, uh, especially in fishes, in, in, in um, uh, seafood. Uh, so we have quite a lot of... Um, uh, local ingredients uh, yet we import the ducks uh we import some of the mushrooms uh we what about import, the cheese of course we we, we import yeah. all the cheese uh we import uh, the asparagus
0: gotta get that white asparagus there you go exactly uh i would imagine the wine lists are probably a little bit different too right i mean the japanese are very big fans of like natural wine i know that burgundy is big in both places both france and in uh and in japan but um do you notice that there's any differences in terms of what wines get sold at each location? They're
1: very much Bordeaux, uh, sorry, Burgundy oriented, as you said, and they're a little bit more. I would say, um, I'm going to say a victim, but maybe that's not that's not the right word. Is is of trends. Mm. Uh, we sometimes feel that they are getting the trends with uh, 18 months later than us. Uh, I'm not saying that we're on the top of the trend. On the contrary, but. But sometimes you feel that they, they are not willing to take any uh, adventures on wines. But it's a little bit logical. It takes about months and a half to ship some wine there. Um, you know, uh, by the time they taste it, it's already been a little bit of time.
0: It's, it's, it's expensive. Yeah. So they're, they're just now getting into the Jura. They're just now getting their Auvergne. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, they've been into it for quite some time. Sometimes you have some parallel things. So, so I've been, they've been into Jura for some time. Yeah, probably not, not yet, uh, Carol.
0: Is, is there a wine that's currently on either the Rotisserie's list or at Tour d'Argent that you're, like, particularly excited about, either because it's a new producer that you guys just started working with or you just think that the wines are firing right now?
1: I'll pick one classic, of course, Domaine Trappé, which we have quite a lot, and Salad de Rotisserie, which is really good, very fun stuff. But I think you lived the experience, so you can talk about it better than
0: me. Yeah, you know, uh, we had the chance to dine at the rotisserie. Uh, about a month or month and a half ago. And I think for me, what I loved was just how convivial the space was, how warm and inviting. I think I had a glass of uh, Catherine and Pierre Berton's um, Borgai and it was just so fucking good. It was the perfect bistro wine. You know, it's that Cabernet Franc. It's just got that like brambly, like mix of like red and black fruit. The perfect wine that pairs with, I think, you know, I had Pigeon and it was just perfect. A little carafe of that and you're set. Um, but again, a producer that's like, I think, a very classic representation of what minimal intervention in the Loire Valley tastes like. Just an amazing husband and wife team making delicious wine. So a family-owned winery at a family-owned restaurant. Um, to me, like that that's what you want. I mean, we started with some um, Ouf Mayonnaise, which you said had won some like major competition, right? Uh, what was kind of that competition that the exit won? Indeed, we're
1: actually um, a champion of the world for the Ouf Mayonnaise. I mean... <laughs> Only the French can think about that. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, we have our own contest. The mayonnaise World Championship. And, and it's a world championship of uh, Paris, of mayonnaise, but it's still a world championship.
0: For so, people that maybe aren't familiar with that dish, like in and of itself, how would you describe both uh, Mayonnaise?
1: We went a little bit above and beyond. We selected an egg producer, uh, a of Paris, which is entirely uh, bio. So it, they, they are next to Dordon, It's, it's uh, La Ferme du Pignon Blanc, so it's really, really a good egg to start with. Then there's a very, very specific uh, timing. I think it's something like eight minutes and 38 seconds or a little bit less, probably five or something. But, but it's, it's very, you have to be very precise in the cooking. You have to, uh, to make a little hole in the egg so that actually there's no bubble inside. Just the egg in itself is a story. And then you have to make the marronades. You have to have a certain type of uh, oil. And, and we added a little bit of uh, some mustard pickles on top with the mustard leaf which was actually, uh, uh, and, and under, it was, it was uh, potatoes with, with uh, poultry stock.
0: Egg mayonnaise championship of the world. I love it. Uh, hopefully there was a big trophy that you're presented with. I would hope that there's either a trophy or a medal, some very ostentatious thing.
1: The chef got a custom-made uh, Taguerre watch for egg making. And the freaking watch, I think, is worth 8,000 euros. That's insane. And I was like, why does the chef get one, not me? <laughs> <laughs>
0: If, if I had to pair that dish with a wine, I'd probably go with like a sparkling Chenin Blanc or maybe like a grower mm. champagne, something, you know, nice and effervescent. That that sounds like the way to go. You know, it would be impossible for us to talk about the restaurant without touching upon the press duck, which is one of the signature dishes. And that's not really something you see being made Almost anywhere else. I mean, it's so involved, the techniques. Do you mind walking listeners through really the way in which you guys do it? Because you present people with a uh, certificate of the duck that they received that's getting pressed.
1: Like everything in, in, in uh, fine dining, you start with a fantastic product. We have our, our ducks, which come from Western France. It's the Burgos family. Now it's the fifth generation um, that we've been working with them since uh, 1947. It's a fantastic product in itself. There are ducklings, actually. They are eight weeks old. Dang little babies. Yes, they are. They, they eat a lot. <laughs> Spend half the time outside, half the time, time inside. Uh, and, and it's just, again, a fantastic product to start with. Uh, so, so we carve the filet out. And, and the way we do it is we do it really the original ways is by maintaining the duck in the air. So it's a real challenge for the Metro Hotel to actually carve the filet in front of the customers without the duck touching
0: plate. What's the reason for that? Is that just tradition, like that you don't? It's carve? it's a show. It's it's mm. a real show,
1: and it takes actually two to hotel because once you carve the filet, you have someone actually taking them away. Um, mm. So once the filet are, are carved, uh, then we, we actually uh, cut them in in iniguet, so it's slightly smaller, and and then start the preparation of the sauce, where you actually in this duck press, which we have since uh, 1890, since Frederic who was the owner before my before my grandfather. You actually crush the bones and, and you're going to add some pork, you're going to add some stock, you're going to add some uh, cognac, you're going to add some foie gras and you let the sauce reduce and 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 it takes about an hour. It's a long process. Uh, you salt it, you spice it a little bit to the customer's liking and at the end you get the sauce which is going to cover uh, the, the guillette. Well, the, the, the kitchen uh, adds a few uh, soufflé potatoes which are potatoes we have only air inside is like a souffle uh, french fries. It's, it's absolutely delicious. And then you have the legs, which are served uh, afterwards. It's, it, the ducks are numbered since 1890. Uh, this this uh, gentleman who was the owner before my, grandf- my grandfather, Philippe de the He had a very cool idea in 1890 to number the ducks. It's a very fun idea. And we've kept the tradition. So you get the postcard with, with your number, uh we'll with we'll, um, uh, a drawing uh, today it's Liam M- petit and tomorrow it's going to be vincent Bougourre, so there's always an artist who works on the card
0: certificate of authenticity <laughs> you know it's exactly. not just for a pair of jordans it's for your duck, that <laughs> <make them. laughs> for a duck that's wild you know some kids you know they rebel against their parents and they find different ways to do it like did you ever like say to your dad like you know what I'm gonna be a vegetarian. Like, did you ever like rebel against him in some culinary way, in some gastronomic fashion? Not really, actually.
1: No, I took many of his his um, his tastes, and then you elaborate your own. Of course, you shift away. Uh, my father was never such a big wine guy, even mm. though uh, we have a pretty uh, astonishing wine cellar.
0: He was more of a beer guy. Hard kombucha. <laughs>
1: No, no, very much a beer, beer and champagne guy. He like the bubbles. Champagne was for celebrations and therefore and was for
0: after You're running this business that's over 450 years old, right? I mean, Tour d'Argent got its start in the 1500s. I don't know. I got to imagine like someone like you have your own vision for things. You have your own ideas on what you want to do. You've clearly innovated. You've opened up a bakery. You've opened up an epicery. But how do you kind of like go about creating your own identity, like yourself? without losing yourself in the brand of Tour d'Argent? How do you still stay, Andre, and not just the guy behind Tour d'Argent?
1: I love meeting people. So it's, it's really, um, INSEAD helped me a lot. It's going around, tasting a lot, going to restaurants, uh, going whether it's fine dining or a simple bistro. The more you taste, the more you go around, the more you go, go around the world. Cosmopolitan as you are, uh, I'm half Finnish. I spent a lot of time in the US, spent a lot of time in Japan. Uh, I love Argentina. I've been countless times. What do you like about um, Argentina? Well, it's, it's just it's absolutely non-Scandinavian. It's absolutely, this country is an absolute mess <laughs> every time I go. But uh, there's so much um, heart and, and warmth and kindness and, and everything is, is, you have to go with the flow. You don't decide. It's, it, the, you, it's, you have to understand, you don't decide the timing there. You get, you have lunch when you have lunch. You have dinner when you have dinner. Um, so it's it's complete opposite as as Finland, mm-hmm. and and the food is great. Of course, red wines, you know, uh, great meat. I mean, non vegetarian country, that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, great fishing, also. So uh, I love this country. So um, I've been around a lot, and it, it helps kind of like create a certain view, a certain uh, confidence in what what you wanna what you wanna reproduce. And, uh, and then understanding what's, what's right. And, and interestingly, it's, it's not because it's more uh, traditional that it's not uh, more modern at times. Sometimes you want to make something modern, but it's already uh, out of fashion. Uh, we, have, we have this very interesting debate currently about where well, we have a renovation coming and, and we, have, uh, we are thinking what's the, what's the dress code for the, for the next barman because we're planning for a bar on the first floor. And should he, should he be like tattooed? We like verdure arms up, you know, the shirt up or very Le Marais style bar or should he be very classic like English white jacket? And it's very interesting because it's like the old guys in the team are more for like the the very cool kind of modern barman and the young guys in the team are like, no, 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 are you guys crazy? We have to have the classic jacket and bow tie. That's so wild. And so it is like this debate that is going everywhere. I'm not saying, I'm not giving any the answer there, but it's very interesting when Sometimes uh, modernity or, or is, is, is not exactly the right way to go uh, because it's just changing something against something that's already working. We have to really understand who we are and that takes a lot of time. Uh, and it also takes different points of views. I ask around a lot, uh, I share a lot. And, and, and when, once you have a certain set of, of uh, outside uh, opinions, you can actually create a few
0: certainties. You referenced there the fact that you guys are doing this renovation, and that means closing the restaurant for a bit, right? I imagine that's not an easy undertaking, deciding to close. Is the idea, get it renovated before the Olympics? Exactly. We,
1: we dec- even decided to accelerate a this. Uh, 2024 was the deadline, so we're doing it one year before. Uh, it took us three years to get there. We're closing down in five weeks and
0: we actually already started it's 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 a huge project just throw on the car hard bust out some hammers
1: yeah yeah i have i have i have i have have one where i have have to go around um it's 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 very much the limit of what we can handle uh not only financially but also operationally because it's a huge project um there's a part which concerns the building which is a little bit like um which we had to do in a in a sense for the building because the building has has been under a lot of stress from the restaurant because it was not meant for a restaurant originally and there's a part which is of course renovating the, the restaurant hence creating new experiences try to think about what's the 21st century fine dining experience by tour d'argent and that's of course required lots of brainstorming we are not over yet we will get it right uh, 90% of the time, we're gonna get get wrong, uh, be wrong a few times, of course. But I have a fantastic chef. His name is Yannick Frank. I have a fantastic restaurant manager, uh, Stephane uh who's been with me for a long time. I have a new head sommelier, Victor Gonzalez. He's doing a phenomenal job. So I have this great, great team around me, and I'm very, uh, I'm very lucky to to bring them on on this adventure. So once once you have a good team, I think we, we we're gonna be fine.
0: And so what are you guys going to do while you're under construction?
1: We have nine months ahead of us. So we've been working on a program, kind of a calendar of events. So we're going to take the Tour d'Argent on tour uh, around France and across the globe. Uh, starting with the 14th of May, we're going to have an evening in the, in the cellars of, uh, of uh That's going to be absolutely fantastic. We're going to have a dinner at Louis uh, Jadot in Bonn. Uh, we're going to have a lunch at uh, the Chateau uh, La Marqueterie uh, owned by Tétanget that's overlooking the uh, Côte des Blancs. Uh, we're going to have a dinner at Lafitte. We're going to have a cruise on the Seine. We're going to have um, one uh, dinner at, uh, we're going to have an event at Volvicons. Vicomte that's going to be in December, a pretty uh, fantastic gala dinner. And, which is probably the event that I'm most excited with, is uh, we're going to have Four Hands uh, uh, Gastronomic Week at uh, Thomas Keller's uh, French Laundry. In Yonville, and that's going to be really, really, really cool. Every time, I'm going to bring my team, my chef, my head sommelier. When it's in France, we're going to go with our little uh, uh, camionette, We're going to go with our minivan. We're going to go with our products.
0: You're going on tour. I love it. You're like a band. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's going to be um uh, yeah
1: it's going to be very fun. It allows us to maintain contact with our customers, provide them with experiences, maintain the team active. And, and bring a few challenges also, because it's, it's, it's one thing to do a dinner here, uh, but organize a dinner in Bordeaux, uh, it's only one time. Every time there are very exclusive experiences, that's going to be uh, quite exciting.
0: Well, to do a dinner inside of the uh, caves of Ruinart, like in a champagne cellar, I can't imagine that'll be super easy either. You'll have access to great wine for sure. But... Yeah,
1: and they're going to actually serve, uh, of course, they're going to serve uh, some, some pretty amazing uh, champagnes mostly in big formats
0: and that's that's pretty special that's pretty rad are there other things that you'd want listeners to know about what's going on at tour d'argent or just about like the french uh, gastronomic scene things that are going on at restaurants in paris things that you're excited about going on within the city anything like that
1: well yeah a little word of defense for paris paris has been under quite a lot of criticism in, in recent times it's, it's the traffic's horrible uh, uh we have um I would say not, not everything is perfect in Paris, but it has been in terms of, of culture, of exhibits, and of restaurants. We have a vibrant city, and I would invite everyone to come and visit. There's something going on in Paris all the time. There's a new restaurant every day. There's a fantastic hotel, fine dining, of course, with Cheval Blanc, which opened. There's the Bulgari with a very, very cool uh, Italian restaurant. There's so much going, going on in, in terms of food. So I would still defend France and, well, Paris as, as the food capital of the world. It's, it's incredible the experiences, even in terms of Japanese restaurants. They have so much going on. And, and in terms of fine food, actually, we are, we are uh, doing a lot. We have our, our e-store, our, our online shop, uh, which is doing great. We're uh, distributing our own sauces, our own soups
0: which we started during covid time so that's doing very well. This is your mom's secret recipe for soup. That's the soup that's being sold. Or, <laughs> you know? No, I have a, I have a uh, <laughs> very
1: very well paid uh, a of advanced chef who does a ph- phenomenal job at uh, making
0: soups. The greatest soups in the world. Next time, mom, next time. Is there so you were saying that Paris you feel like is still very much the culinary capital or gastronomic capital of the world? Is there another city that really just like has your heart when it comes to food or has your stomach? Tokyo, of course, Tokyo
1: is yeah. is, is fantastic. I mean, I've had some experiences, of course, mostly in in Izakaya uh, and, you know, and some of them, it's it's very gastronomic, actually. Tokyo can be, of course, you can have street food. It's very cool. You can have really, really you don't eat, you always eat well in Tokyo. But yeah. in terms of gastronomic, it's, it's very much in their genes uh, to provide Everywhere around the world, when you talk about gastronomy, you talk about French food. Japan, it's it's really Japanese. They don't need they don't need us at all. <laughs> I always think it's a mistake to serve French wine with, with uh, in, in Zakeya, for example. Um, I I don't get it. So so I've had some experiences uh, at Kikunoi, which is my favorite restaurant. Uh, it's two stars in Akasaka. I brought some friends there and and it's a holistic experience experience. You spend three, three to four hours at the table. It's one of the only uh, places in the world where it's very natural to do that. So I love Tokyo.
0: One of the best pizzas I've ever in my life was in Tokyo. They really have found a way to perfect every style of food. Uh, just yeah. really like a kid in a candy shop when I'm there. So cool. Well, Andre, is there anything else you want to let people know before I let you off? No, we've, we've,
1: we've built a great, um, a great wine cellar at the tour, as you know, and, and, uh, We've had some, some incredible wine enthusiasts actually the last uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, and we have a great philosophy of aging the wines. So and we're still buying a lot. Uh, so we have, I think, Sollerajon is not only fine dining uh, restaurants with a great view, great service, great chef, but probably the most elaborate and interesting uh, wine collection. I would I would think of the world actually. So wine enthusiast, and I think that that talks to you. Uh, most welcome the tour, um, and we are going to reopen on. It's going to be
0: Thursday, the second of March of next year. Eleven months away, and until then, people can always go to the rotisserie. Exactly, and they can snag uh, one of these delicious baguettes or pan au chocolat at the uh, Boulangerie. So exactly, awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. Thank that you, Chris. Cool. That was wonderful. Very cool. All right, guys, that is our show. Thank you so much for listening. You can stream every episode of By the Glass wherever you get your audio content. That's Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher. If you haven't written a five-star review, please go and do that. It helps more people find out about the show. So um, thanks for listening, and we'll talk soon. Cheers.